0: Love Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. I'd like to um, say hello to my moderators over on our simultaneous tweet chat, May Wilkinson and Chuck Wally. Um, you can join the conversation by following the hashtag TCK on Twitter. And um, tonight we have a very different interview, um, something very different than we've ever done before. I'm um, sure most of you have seen the media, uh, the articles, the interviews, the, um, the all over the news about Derek Hoare, who is a single father of three children, whose nine-year-old daughter Ian was taken from him by um, Child Protective Services. Uh, Ian is autistic, and uh, I think this is every autistic parent's nightmare, and unfortunately this man is living it right now. So I am just very happy that he could be with us. I'm very touched that he took the time to join us. I'm also joined tonight by Lou Joffrey, who is the president of Life Protect. And um he has as everyone knows, an incredible um GPS tracking system for autistic children that wander. So um let me introduce Derek Orr. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Um, you know, We've spoken over over the week, and um, unfortunately, uh, there really hasn't been any progress. So I'd really like to just start the interview uh, by asking you to tell us a little bit about Ayn and your other children.
1: Um, Ayn is your uh, little spitfire. She's uh, nine years old, and she's autistic. She um, is sort of a big part of our household, and I also have... Uh, Another little boy who's 10, and he's his name is Lyric, and he's also autistic. And then my eldest son, Wyatt, who is 11, and he's uh, quote-unquote normal.
2: Okay.
0: And um, but both um, Ian and Lyric are both um, severe on the spectrum. So, you know, could you tell us a little bit about her presentations? Is she verbal? Is she nonverbal?
1: Um, Yeah, Ayn and Lyric, it's it's very strange. They are both severely autistic, and yet they're also very opposite. So Lyric himself is nonverbal, but he's happy-go-lucky, and uh, he uh, is very complacent and willing to please. Ayn, on the other hand, is very, very bright, and uh, is very high in her her speech and her vocabulary. However, Ayn's problems are more behavioral. She's uh, easy to set off and uh, very emotional has taken a lot of time and understanding uh, and consistency to get Ayn to uh, use her words and understand that uh, words are what work best. So she presents herself generally. Um, she will come up to you and ask for whatever she likes and express to you uh, her, her wants or her desires, um, but you can't really have a conversation with Ayn per se. She'll understand everything you say and uh, uh, she will express herself to you, but you couldn't have a conversation with her.
0: Right. right. Yeah, you hear that a lot. You hear that a lot. And, um, you know, a lot of these children are just so brilliant, and, you know, what you're describing is so common. And, um, you know, as you know, I mean, you sound like you really do understand. You know, it does take a lot of compassion and uh, a lot of detective work to figure out what the triggers are. Um, you know, what type of therapies or, you know, accommodations are they getting through through the school?
1: Um, well, through the school now, I mean, initially preschool, really. When you go pre-six, we, we tried to run an ABA program with Ayn. And um, it, she, because she's such a little independent spitfire, they had a lot of resistance. When when Ayn turns six, you're sort of left with this impression that uh, you, you must feed your children into the school system and that the school system will offer the professional support for her. So um, in the school, unfortunately, what ends up happening is they provide... Um, a variety of professionals speech and language and o t and uh, uh, anything else that they can do i mean they they've they've modified the building for my daughter and such now the The problem with it is is of course they only offer so much of these services it's generally very limited in terms of the amount of time they can observe your child, so they don 't really get a complete picture of your child and then they have to take whatever educational or professional background they have. Apply it to that very limited scope of knowledge that they have of your child, and then try to come up with uh, some sort of plan on how to deal with them. And time and time again, uh, with in my daughter's case, uh, they've they've come up very, very short.
0: Right? You know, it's because the sensory friendly environment, you know, it's just so important. And um, you know, what what I think was very confusing. is that at home she doesn't present with a lot of the behaviors that she presents with at school which really does send up a red flag that you know her needs are not being accommodated so you know how did she differ um at school what were they seeing
1: oh i mean i mean first off i understand sort of where the school is coming from because i did i did see the same behaviors that they see now and it did take time and it did take consistency and compassion in order for i uh, for me to gain an understanding of her and for her to gain an understanding of me and my expectations. At school, um, the behaviors were escalating. They were getting worse and worse and more and more aggressive. Ayn would rip off her clothes and destroy them. She would literally remove them and destroy them with her legs and her arms, ripping them apart. And she would flush her underwear and her uh, her socks down the toilet nearly every day. Every day I'd send Ayn to school, she'd come home in different clothing, she would attack staff, she would attack students. She has put her head through the front plate glass window at school, uh, destroys any posters or anything on the walls, and will swipe anything off any shelves. They had beanbag chairs for her. She ripped those to shreds. And um, she generally was heavily reluctant to uh, to do any work for them. Um, this is how she presented herself there. Uh, and uh, I'm sure throughout the interview, I will get a chance to explain why and how that happened. Now, at home, to contrast, um, I once saw those behaviors, and I once had to deal with those behaviors, everything ranging from fecal smearing to um, uh, absolute destruction or anger, biting, scratching, hair pulling. Um, but over time, um, you're able to explain to Ayn, you're able to not give in, first of all, to these uh, these sorts of demands she would make or the method by which she was demanding them and teach Ayn how it is you go about communicating with other humans. And um, I had great, great success. And over the last three years, she has truly blossomed into a beautiful bright little girl who loves photography and baking and singing and music and arts. And I mean, she was really a a joy to be around and to have in the home.
0: And, you know, what, what type of a school is she in? Is she in a regular mainstream school, or is she in a special school?
1: She is in a, in a, in a public school. However, the school has a separate classroom for disabled children. Um, she is not in that classroom, however, because of her behaviors. There is a safety plan which was implemented, and um, part of the safety plan was that I needed to be isolated from the populace. In that classroom, they built a wall across the back of the classroom which which allowed for uh, about a six-foot space uh, across the length of the classroom, so maybe six foot by 20 feet or whatever. And then inside that little room, uh, they built another little room where they would put the blue gym mat paddings up on the walls. That was her calm down room. And I was generally kept in that area. Uh, when she was allowed out for recesses, it would be when the uh, when there were no other children on the playground. She was kept largely isolated.
0: And were there ever any options given to you for educational options, um, homeschooling or a different type of a school?
1: Um, well, uh, th- no, not particularly. There, There is another school which offers a similar program that she could have gone to. Uh, in terms of homeschooling, uh, it, it was uh, said to me all along that such a thing was not possible. That, I mean, I do homeschool my eldest son, Wyatt, and um, I was informed that uh, if I ran the same program with Wyatt, I would basically be left alone. And because I, I wanted to homeschool my kids my whole life, or not my whole life, but since I was a young child, probably 12, 13 years old, and when I found out my kids had autism, I, it's not that the autism itself was uh, heavily you know, disturbing to me, it was that I wasn't going to be able to educate them, because I knew, I'm not a professional in this, if I even went to school right at that moment, she was two, Lyric was three, we got them diagnosed at roughly the same time, because we went through the government process with Lyric, and with I, and we went private. So at that time, I realized, even if I went to school now, I mean, six, five, five, six, seven years to become an expert in this field, my kids are going to be nine and ten years old. That's too late. They need professional help now. So um, I, uh, I decided I did have to find them some professional help and seek out professional help. And, of course, I was misled and, and told that the only place for me to get that was inside the school system.
0: Right. And, you know, really all of this um, started with a wandering incident. And uh, that's really what precipitated this present situation. Um, you know, had the wandering happened before? Um, you know, it's very common, um, you know, as Lou is, is, can tell you um, in the um, autism community. So had the wandering happened before? And what happened on that particular day?
1: Um, the wandering is something actually that Lyric is far more prevalent to do, not Ein. Ein wandered a little bit back in 2007 and 2008, um, we lived on a cul-de-sac in a traffic-controlled neighborhood, so fortunately she would just generally run across the street to my uh, my neighbor's house there where they had three little girls that my kids would play with. And they also had a little wading pool that I liked to get over and get into and a nice tree in their front yard she wanted to climb. Um, uh, after that, there wasn't much until this is- incident here where three times in about a five-day period... I'm, uh I'm escaped or yeah you know, I mean she did escape I mean we call it wandering but I mean because of the precautions in place literally this is an escape and um she uh yeah so she's not really known as a wanderer uh, uh, a product such as life protect is uh would obviously have made this whole situation probably not occur and would have been uh, far quicker and uh, easier to resolve
0: and you know um Tell us about the day, because Ayn had wandered, Mm -hmm. Um, you you know, as any parent would. You panicked, called the police for help. Ayn was found safe and sound, a very happy reunion. And then four days later, you get a knock on your door. So, you know, tell the audience what happened, and, um, you know, was there any warning
1: I'm Sure. Uh, that the day that Ein escaped, she had gone out to play and I looked out the window and uh, after a, a minute of her being outside and uh, no sign of Ein. Now, I assume she had snuck into my bedroom through the garage to use the laptop, which she was not allowed. So I dashed down to my bedroom to stop her um, because she's broken two laptops in the last year. And so uh, when I did not see her in here, I immediately... Uh, went upstairs and checked her room and told my son Wyatt, you know, run outside, make sure your sister's out back. Uh, it turns out she had jumped down over uh, the fence via her treehouse and had dashed off a few doors down, uh, probably just exploring, and gone into a house which she goldilocksed, uh, listened to music and took a bath and uh, made a general mess, they said, and then went into the neighbor's house of them and or into the neighbor's yard of them and played on a trampoline in a pool. Um, it was a happy reunion. There was a large search by the Abbotsford Police Department. Um, they checked the border. They they sort of sealed everything down. They did a great job. They poured all their, their, their resources into this to ensure that she was safe. Um, they did return her to me. It was a very uh, a picturesque moment with Ayn running out of the police car and throwing her arms around my neck. And, you know, me crying and it being very happy and thankful and, you know, people were clapping and, Now, four days later, um, there really was no no indication that they were going to do this. I do get a knock on the door. Uh, Two social workers were there. I uh, I invited them in. They came and sat down. They asked me what happened. I explained to them roughly what I just explained to you. And uh, they said, well, that's what we're here to talk to you about. And they offered me a temporary care, or not a temporary, sorry, a voluntary care agreement where I would turn Ayn over to them. I basically stopped them immediately as soon as they said that uh, it would involve relinquishing my custody of her over to them and said, I'm not going to do that. Uh, The the whole process then, which lasted probably about 20 minutes, was them, do you at least want to hear it? Do you at least want to hear it? And me saying, no, you don't understand. You don't understand what you're doing. Ayn is a good girl in the home, you know, and uh, them trying to play it as if they were being sympathetic, if they were trying to help me. And that if this was um, you know if this was one autistic child in a two-parent family, that's a lot to handle. But to have two autistic kids in a one-parent family, well, that's just too much for one person to handle. And in effect, they will lighten my load, they're uh, going to make it easier on me if they just remove my daughter. Um, uh, w- when they said this, I. I grabbed the phone and uh, looked up online really quick, right in front of them for legal aid, dialed the number, walked down to the room. And um, I went upstairs and told my son, Wyatt, they're taking Ein. And he said, what? And I said, they're taking Ein. And I walked back downstairs. At this point, my mind is racing. I'm kind of frantic. And um, I walked back into the room. Wyatt follows me. And uh, they like, Wyatt, you got to leave. And I said, no, he can stay. He can hear this. And he sat down at the computer, and um, he pushed record. So the last two and a half minutes of their presence in my home was recorded, and you can hear me uh, quite upset and irate, telling them that I do not believe they have the right to come in and remove children from homes where they're loved and cared for, that they don't understand what happens to kids in homes like this, um, or in institutions like this, sorry, and um, that they're making a terrible, terrible mistake. Um, they didn't want to hear it. They... Uh, They then just told me they were leaving and going to remove her from the school.
0: So they did tell you that they would take her from the school?
1: They told me that if I did not sign her over to them right there, that they were just simply going to remove her. Yeah.
0: And just because, you know, there is a lot of confusion as to how something like this could happen. Because I think people are under the assumption that unless there is abuse or neglect... That it's always the last resort to remove a child from the house. So I'm going to just ask you, just so you could set the record straight: Have there ever been any allegations of any types of abuse um, toward, from you towards your children?
1: There is no allegation whatsoever of any abuse. I mean, my two boys are here. They did not remove my two boys. They right. do not dispute that I'm a good father. It's almost as if their argument. I mean, they've never said this, but I mean, when you look at it, the the argument is essentially this: You've got a good dad. And uh, he's got three kids, so he, he, each kid's going to get 33% of dad, and that's just not enough. They, these kids are going to need 50% of dad. That will be enough, right? I mean, this seems to be the rationale here. They, you know, they, they didn't look into the home. They didn't look into the home life. They simply looked at reports that were coming in from other sources largely through their involvement in my program at the school.
0: And, you know, that, that, that's the rationale that I really just don't get. Because it's not the rationale, listen, you know, we see that you're struggling. You know, we see that this is is a handful for anybody. What services can we provide you? I mean, that would be the logical thing in my mind that should have been offered to you instead of removing the child, um, you know, without any foundation. So, you know, soon after your child, they just took her from school. Correct. Um, And the reason was they were citing that it was – too much of a burden for you, and that um, she wasn't safe. Is that correct?
1: To a degree, yes. I mean, what you're saying is true other than the, the, the reality that I was not overwhelmed. They did not look in the home. They were basing this solely upon her escalating behavior in school from February, I think it was February 20th, onward until the June 16th removal. So literally, they never even analyze to see. Is he overwhelmed? Is, is she like this at the home?
2: Well, so is they that get normal
1: these,
0: in Canada? Because, I mean, here in the United States, I mean, they come in and they do an evaluation of your home, um, you know, of the caregivers. I mean, are there other caregivers in the house?
1: He, um, yes, the kid's uncle lives in the house with me. Um, he provides daily care to the children. He helps out right. on a regular basis. I also have... Um, support from my family who lives nearby they come out uh at least monthly more often than that my mother comes out once a week and my sister and her husband come out uh, monthly they help the kids they they uh they provide me with respite they watch the kids so i can get out and get away or do some research or some reading or whatever it is i need to do often we just hang out together as a family here and and have a barbecue or whatever the case is so and was um,
0: any investigation done interviewing no, I mean, any of the family members or they just where did they what did they base um their findings on you know you mentioned the reports from the school so were the did they ask after the wandering incident for the reports or had the school been reporting this as a problem
1: well in canada what's happened uh recently within uh the last few years here um at least in bc is uh our autism used to be all of our autism programs used to be run by CLBC, Community Living British Columbia. What happened is, um, I, I presume for budgetary reasons, MCFD, the Ministry of Children and Family Development, absorbed them. MCFD is our CPS. So what ends up happening is because we're running care team meetings in the school over her alarming behavior, and I sign and check off privacy agreements of who I want involved, uh, because MCFD oversees my uh, my autism funding and my respite, um, I check them off. So it's not like the school was reporting this to them so much as we were providing them with these care team minutes. Now, they only came out to one meeting themselves. However, they uh, surely were forwarded these minutes. And um, I'm sure when they saw these behaviors, they were alarmed or concerned. Um, But no, no investigation was done into the home. Uh, No family to this day, and we're rolling into day 39 here, uh, still no family has been contacted as per her behavior in the home.
0: And what is the reaction of the school, of the teachers and the principal and, um, you know, those who were caring for her every day?
1: Oh, I mean, initially they were very, very, very shocked because um, the school would call me in to calm her. I mean, I was an integral part of, of the safety plan for Ayn and that if she got to a certain level, they would actually send a taxi cab to my house, come and pick me up and bring me into the school as soon as they possibly could get me there. And uh, upon my arrival, Ayn would calm down. A lot of times, um, if it had gotten too aggressive, they would simply send her home with me at that time. Um, so the reaction of school was one of sort of shock and disbelief, and um, the the principal expressed uh, support for me. And I asked her, could you, uh, could you write this out? Could you write me a support letter? She said, well, I'll have to check with the district um, if I'm allowed to do that. I've never been in this situation before. Um, She then um, emailed me and said the district uh, supervisor has told me that no, I am not allowed to provide uh, a letter of support in an issue such as this. In fact, they can't provide a letter of support in, in any similar issue, for example, like a parental custody hearing. And I emailed her back saying, listen, I know, you know as well as I do what Ayn is going through right now. If ever you're going to stand up to your bosses, now is the time. Now is the time to stand up for this child. Because at that point in time, all they had told me is she was unsuitable for the foster care system. She was being placed in a specialized facility to be um, uh, to, to be evaluated and undergo stabilization. Um, of course, I read this and it uh, uh, was proven correct that this means they were going to drug her. And uh, I said, you can't let them do this to her. You've got to stand up to them. She emailed me back. I asked them what the punishment could possibly be, you know, stand up for this. She emailed me back saying that the supervisor had informed her that this would be um, considered direct insubordination and she would be subject to termination if she uh, did so.
0: Well, I don't even know what to say to that. Um, Ian's mother, is she involved in her life at all? Has she been contacted at all? Um as a possible source of placement
1: um well they, they did not contact her as a source of placement at all Ayn's mother and myself um we split up three years ago um because I was the kid's primary caregiver since uh since ein was born um and and that was largely due to the fact that I was more physically able um she was the uh the breadwinner of the house, and I was uh, mr mom and um when we split up three years ago. Uh, there was no custody argument. There was no big battle. It was you can see the kids whenever you want. Uh, so, so she has been, had been involved as uh, sort of often as she could around her work or around the problems that were, were that were circulating in her life. Now, I then moved to a new city, and uh, that was in August of 2010. Um, the the contact with was, uh, was Amy, that's mom, uh, dropped off at that time. Um, and uh, I hadn't seen her until February and uh, that was sort of the precipitating event which led to her her big meltdown in February was seeing mom, obviously Ayn cares deeply for her mother, uh, Amy cares deeply for her children and uh, that event of seeing Amy um, upset Ayn. and I had gone into the school that day in February and I had said or, or the next day because it was uh, Monday and said, she just saw her mom. I saw a big meltdown that I hadn't seen before. I mean, Ayn uh, clearly loves her mother. We wondered what this separation would mean because I had moved. And it uh, clearly had a big effect on her. Now, when Ayn melted down that day, um, I believe because of the reasoning that uh, this was about her mother, they were very, very sympathetic to this. And uh, it showed Ayn a lot of compassion and empathy. But, of course, when you show a child compassion and empathy during a tantrum or a meltdown, what they ended up doing, of course, was positively reinforcing this. Now, coincidentally, Amy was in my house that day. Amy was here the morning um, that they did remove her, and uh, they had not contacted her in advance to see if uh, she could take the child. In fact, they didn't contact any family to see if she could take the child. Um, and they have not um, contacted my family uh, since in regards to taking Ein. Um So Amy was not informed in advance, and uh, yeah was sort of kept in the loop.
0: She does support you.
1: Oh, very I mean, much so. Amy thinks okay. should be returned to me immediately.
0: So, you know, your fears really have come full circle. This is the, any parent that has a child with autism, you know, this is, from what they tell me, this is their worst fear. And, um, you know, you recently found out that, in fact, um, Ian has been placed in a psychiatric hospital and has been put on antipsychotic drugs. So um, I'm, my heart goes out to you. You know, how how were you informed of this?
1: Okay, well, I mean, uh, really, I sort of wasn't. Um, we, Amy called them that day. I was talking to lawyers and I was um, preparing what I was going to do and sort of frantic and informing people that this has happened and what can I do about this. Amy um, phoned the uh, supervisor of the the social workers that came in and removed I, And that social worker informed I that statement I made earlier that she is deemed unsuitable for foster care and is being placed in a specialized facility. Now, that specialized facility is sort of key in all of this. It's the CAPE program at uh, Children's Hospital is where they ended up putting her. It's an acute psych- psychiatric facility. Um, they themselves uh, did not see escalating behavior from mine. They saw very aggressive behavior from mine. Initially, they thought she was uh, had autistic aggression. Initially, they thought she had ADHD. But they say directly in her discharge papers that these uh, these concerns soon dissipated as Ein uh, began to receive her, her one-on-one and was being redirected and uh, they were doing everything they could to try to help this little girl, I'm sure they were in a very awkward position because yeah. when the ministry went in there, um, they said, do not contact the father, do not contact the family. If the family contacts you, do not tell them that she is here. Now, if, of course, if I had signed that voluntary agreement in the first place, I would have been involved. They would have been able to get a proper medical history. The doctor would have been able to get proper background and see that this behavior is abnormal. And in fact, the extreme behavior was probably being exhibited because in Ayn's mind, she'd just been kidnapped. So uh, very quickly, they, uh, they had drugged her. Now, I, uh, I was not made aware of this until the 6th, um, where I asked... Um, sort of what drugs she was receiving. I had spoken to them before then through my attorney and myself in person at court, begging them, please don't drug her. Please don't drug her. And um, uh, my attorney made this clear to them. Um, On the 6th, I went to a meeting with them, at which time they informed me she was indeed being drugged. Uh, And at that time, they just told me of one drug. From the hospital discharge papers I received at a hearing on the 12th is where I saw that she was not only receiving Respiradol, um, which is uh, a neuroleptic or antipsychotic drug, um, which coincidentally treats either ADHD or autistic aggression, both things which the hospital says she does not have. She was also receiving chlorpromazine, and she was receiving chlorpromazine in a double dosage that is that that is the technical maximum her size and weight so uh, she's receiving 150 milligrams uh, rather than the 75 which is the maximum and they give this to her in what's called a PRN which means basically uh, patient requested or as needed right so and of course in this case what they determine as needed is if the child is upset and if the child is uh, tantruming they will simply give her a double dose of a heavy antipsychotic um, and uh, this, of course, will will uh, obviously result in uh, sedation or lethargia, and make her more manageable. Whereas, of course, if you or I did that to our children, this would be a criminal act, and uh, I'd be put in jail. So, uh, but this is how uh, this is their their view of, I guess, her well being is. Uh, when a child gets upset, we drug them into uh, submission.
0: You know, I I had, um, I remember if it was one of our conversations or if I had read this, that, uh, you know, obviously, as you said, she was traumatized. Um, She didn't know what was happening, and she was really inconsolable and asking for you, and you were asked to provide um, a picture at that time. Is that correct?
1: Um, Yeah, actually, on the 6th where I found out about the drugging was our first big meeting. However, on the 4th, two days earlier, a Monday, um, I received a phone call. It was the first contact I had had since her removal. I believe it was about 19 days after her removal. I hadn't heard a word um, of her well-being or her whereabouts or anything until then. I got a phone call and they said, um, your daughter's been quite upset. Um, she's been crying for you these last 18 days. Could you please bring in a photo of yourself um, so that we could help to calm her down? Um, I sort of broke down in tears at that time and I said that I would, for sure, I would bring it in. I called my mother immediately who drove in 30 minutes from the next town and uh, She drove me over there with a photo so I could provide them with that. Sort of tragic. I mean, it was very, unbelievably sad. Because as a parent, I mean, as a parent, it's not me. It's not my suffering, okay? The reality is here. I'm sitting here with the empathy for my child. I know my child. I know what she's going through. I can sit there and you close your eyes and you see what she sees, you know. You feel what she feels, you know. The terror that this must levy upon a child, because the reality is here. She doesn't understand. All I now knows is that at any moment in time, you know, you and I walk through our days and we go shopping, we, you know, we do our work, we do our dishes, and we do our laundry. We exist in that reality. I now exists in a reality where people can march in, people can grab her forcefully. It took four people to to, to get her into a car. She fought them off and to bring her to an institution, this big building with, you know, uh, white walls and bright lights, and they're trying to draw blood, and they're trying to uh, um, run ECGs on her and poke her and prod her. And uh, uh, this is now her reality, that this sort of thing is even possible. And when she acts out, they drug her into submission. So now my daughter has to exist in this this reality. And, And as a parent, you can so empathize with your child that, For the rest of her life, or as long as she has these memories, she's going to fear that this is even possible. And it's something that you or I, when we're doing our shopping or we're getting our gas or whatever it is, we don't fear these things. Well, now this little nine-year-old disabled girl does. There's no escaping it, right? So, I mean, it's unbelievably tragic.
0: Did you say before, I thought I heard you say the word discharge. Did you use the word discharge? Has she been discharged from the hospital?
1: The hospital insisted that she be discharged. The hospital said she does not require acute hospitalization. Uh, The ministry um, wanted her to be continued stay there. They had two meetings, one on the 23rd and one on the 27th. Um, uh, On the 27th, the hospital adamantly refused to keep her there. Um, They said she does not require this and they did discharge her on the 28th, the morning of the 28th, where she was placed into emergency foster care. Now, the ministry at that point, obviously thinking she is not suitable for foster care, immediately waitlisted her onto another psychiatric facility, which has a residential program, and um, she is now sitting in a foster home, uh, still now on a third drug, um, awaiting this, uh, this stay at uh, what's now called the P1 facility, where uh, that's a minimum six-week uh, psychiatric assessment, where she will live in this facility for a longer term.
0: And who is your contact? Where are you getting this information from? You don't have to develop, you know, give us a name. I'm just, uh, This
1: is coming from the ministry. This is coming from the meeting we had on the, uh, on the 6th of, of July. Um, That's the contact, as well as the discharge papers from the hospital. So those, those are basically the only two sources I have, other than one, one email I received. Because you see, and this is a whole other dynamic to this that people should understand, because a lot of people keep asking me about access are they giving you access? Are are they giving you access? You know? Um, No, they're not giving me access, okay? I have repeatedly requested access and um, they're not providing me with access. However, and here is the little uh, quid pro quo, I wouldn't use the access, okay? I'm not going to go visit my daughter. I want to have the ability to go see her whenever I so choose. I don't see why I would uh, be stripped of that ability. Uh, The reality is, and if everyone can, can sort of see this through her eyes for a moment, if I've been there for this little girl her whole life. Okay? If I go see this girl, I'm sure it will be a joyous moment. I will be happy. She will be happy. I will be torn up because I know what she's going through. Okay? And that's not the problem. The problem is when I walk away. And now just when I said um, before, when I was talking about her change in perception of reality, that now she knows those things are possible, that she knows these bad things can happen to her. What Ayn does not know, and she should never know, and really it's not true so she will never know, is that Ayn believes right now I'm going to come rescue her. Ayn believes he must be looking for me, he's going to find me and he's going to get me out of here. Okay, If I go there and I see her, when I walk away and when she says to me, I know what she's going to say word for word. She's going to say, want to go to Ayn's house? Now, she's not asking me that. She wants me to echo it. She wants me to ask her that. She wants me to say, do you want to go to Ayn's house? And she's going to say back to me, yes. Because she likes to sing her words. Okay? The reality is I can't ask her that because they won't let her leave. And forever, Ayn's ability to form lasting or trusting relationships is going to be injured here. Because Ein would never believe I would leave her in a place like this. So her very perception of reality is going to be altered because she's going to then think, why would he do this to me? How could he leave me here? So I do want to see my daughter so very much. And I have requested written reports. I have requested video. I have requested can I send someone in lieu of me, a stranger, who can see her and make sure she's okay and then report back to me. Now, the video is not going to happen. It appears as if sending someone in lieu of me is not going to happen. However, I have received one email. It was about two paragraphs long, fairly brief, um, informing me. uh, This was uh, from the foster mom, where she's now staying, informing me of how Ayn is doing there. The foster mom reports the same thing that the uh, hospital did, that Ayn was initially heavily aggressive, very upset. And um, they do have to give her these PRNs. They're now giving her also Syroquel, and um, But these incidents are becoming fewer and further between. So the, ho- the hospital and the foster care both report not escalating behavior, but de-escalating behavior, which of course supports exactly what I'm saying. And um, that's the only real reports uh, that I've received is one discharge, a meeting on the 6th, and this one little email telling me uh, she's, uh, she's settling in, I guess you would say. What what type of support
0: are you getting from any civil rights organizations, autism organizations there in Canada? Are any um, who is who is there for Ian? What is going on as far as you know? I'm I'm sure this is a process. I mean, I'm not familiar. I think Lou is probably more familiar with um, the way things work um, there in Canada versus here in the United States. But um, are there any groups? That are trying to help you?
1: Um, the outpouring has been enormous. Like, I mean, uh, beyond my wildest dreams. I, I didn't have a Facebook account. I'd never Facebooked before. My life was dedicated to these kids. I don't have a social life. You know, I don't go home. I don't party. I don't go to bars. I don't even really have friends, okay? My, my life is these kids. I have my family, and then I have my nuclear family, like me and my children. Um, when I went on Facebook that, that night, um, my sister had set up a, a, a page. And uh, very quickly, the outpouring began. And, uh, of course, initially, this was from individuals. Very quickly, the word spread. The outpouring from autistic groups in the area has been enormous. I mean, even from American autistic groups, from autistic groups um, around the world. I've received support from the UK. I've received support from Australia and New Zealand and Finland and, Italy and Spain, like it's just, it's surreal, you know, and um, because organizations have different mandates and different ways in which they can help, they try to help me within their own mandate. Um, We're going to set up a program in home for Ayn, as clearly she cannot go back to the school, Uh, she will be traumatized obviously entering there. Um, I've received support with that, I've received support for um, these GPS devices, I've received support for um, to child psychology and any therapy I will need and any behavioral intervention I will need um, really the, the outpouring has been enormous so um, I mean I'm just it's, it's sort of I can't even find a word for it it's very heartwarming to see how close-knit and how quickly the autism community draws together because the reality is we are sort of isolated. Our kids do demand a lot of our time, and we do dedicate a lot of our time to them, and we love them so much. And then, but we can all empathize with one another. So when you do put two autistic parents in the room together, there's like a silent bond there, you know. So so much outpouring has been has been poured out by these people who understand what I'm going through and can feel what I'm going through and can imagine this happening to them.
0: What is what is the what, where do you stand now? I mean, I, I would assume that you need representation. Um, you know, has this? Have, do you know of any other cases in Canada where this has happened, and what was the the outcome? And you know, what what's the next step?
1: Okay, well, and that's a complex situation. First of all, um, just to address the representation part real quick, I, I did contact legal aid before they left my house. Um, I told them what happened, and I was granted legal aid. Um, uh, the lawyer I have received, uh, I met her on, uh, I'm, I talked to her on Monday. On Tuesday was the first court hearing. This all happened on a Thursday. Um, she is a legal aid lawyer who has been provided very minimal uh, funding for this. In fact, they give her enough for two hours for the presentation hearing that I'm supposed to have. That's that's how much she's paid. She's, she's really poured in about 15 at this point, I would say. Um, now, uh, Now, she can just help me with that judicial process. So, of course, when... When we, as, as as parents of the autistic community, or par- any parent, I mean any person, we look at this and we see this is not right, and we realize th- the scope of this is outside of just the custody issue with with Ayn, or just the removal issue. So I am seeking representation on these broader issues. So th- that out of the way, um, yeah, I, I kind of forget the second half of your question. <laughs> what, what, <laughs>
0: You know, because the, the 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 goal here obviously is to get Ian home as soon as possible. Correct. And to um have your home set up for the enormous needs that she's going to have. I mean, this is a traumatizing right. um event. Um right. obviously the school environment wasn't working for her. Um so you know, homeschooling, um, you know, needs to be set up, I would assume. Um mm-hmm. you know, but also um you know, as you said your your other son lyric also um you know has issues, so you know what I was really asking is you know what is the process now of getting her home how How long do you think that will take and, right, you know, and that was one of the reasons Canada? i wanted I wanted to bring Lou on because um Lou Joffrey, president of life protect um you know he a lot of these issues i mean had she not wandered in the first place, who knows this never might not have ever happened um, um so where are you at now?
1: Okay, well, in terms of the process, and then then I'll describe uh, in terms of um, whether this is happening in Canada. Um, Basically, there's two processes at work here. One is the judicial process. Um, What that goes through, and this is the thing when you're saying, shouldn't there be an investigation or shouldn't there be a reason? The answer is no. Um, CPSs the world over have basically implemented a policy where they uh, remove first and do an investigation second. Um, So it sort of flipped uh, regular judicial processes on its head. The reason for this, of course, they would argue, is that if a child was being abused, it's best to get them out of the abusive situation first. Then we will investigate. If we discover there was no abuse, we can return. And if we discover there was, good thing that uh, we removed them right away. That's sort of the logic here. So this first process here, uh, the judicial side of it, is a presentation hearing where the, um, the government goes in and gets to say why they removed. Now, all I can do with this process is say, do I consent to her, th- to her removal or to their reasons for removal or do I refuse my consent? Um, at this hearing, the presentation hearing, it is then determined what my level of access will be. And where she will spend the 45 days, which is allocated in between a presentation and a protection hearing. So um, now, if you refuse your consent, this is sort of the catch 22 of it. If you refuse your consent at this presentation hearing, they will schedule a second hearing for you to argue why do you think they should not have removed her um, and where she should go for those 45 days. Um, the reality is, is they end up scheduling that hearing. To up to 90 days or more away so I mean uh, you end up not getting to even have a hearing of where she should be for 45 days until 90 days later and then the 45 days begins now at that presentation hearing the there is no standard of evidence as we would see it where there would be an actual investigation with a burden of proof what the judge does is says if I were to believe what the ministry is saying do they have a good faith argument for removal? So basically, if your child had a dime-sized bruise, um, the government could say, we believe she's being beaten, and the government would, or the judge would say, if I were to believe she was being beaten, do they have a good faith argument for removal? The answer, of course, would be yes. They are then to conduct an investigation and determine whether the bruise is in fact a beating and either return the child or not. Now, the next phase in this um, is called the protection hearing, and that's where the burden of proof then rests Uh, back in reality where they actually would have to prove that um, I was indeed uh, uh, unsafe or that I was indeed unable or unwilling to care for my daughter, which of course they, they cannot do. So that's that half of the process, the judicial process, and it moves very, very slow. Now at any point in time, however, the government has the ability to return your child to you. And um, the clause in in the act basically states that if we become aware of some information, which leads us to believe this child does not require protection, they can return her to me. So with all of this public exposure and me screaming from the rooftops here, I'm not trying to influence the judiciary. I don't believe that we want the media or the government to be able to influence the judiciary, it would be best if we kept them as impartial as possible. However, I do want to influence the ministry, and I do want the ministry to understand what they've done is wrong and why it is wrong. And this is why I'm screaming from the rooftops, because this entire process is faulty. This entire process is victimizing a little girl, and uh, she has to be the last. I mean, she shouldn't it shouldn't have even happened, but she has to be the last. Now, as per whether this has happened in Canada before, To tell you the truth, I've been asking that. I've been asking it for 39 days, and I haven't heard of a case like mine yet. This is the first one. Now, I have heard of a case very similar to mine in Australia back in 2007, and I've heard of a case in California back in 2010. In both of those cases, what happened, and this is almost equally disturbing, is uh, about one or two weeks prior to the protection hearing, knowing that they cannot win it, they simply drove up to the house and dropped off the child. Not a word. Not a word. Just here's your kid right. back.
0: Right. So
1: oh. um, yeah,
0: wouldn't wouldn't that be nice? Um, right. But you know to to, to I, I'd like to just move on just for the sake of time. I just want to move on because I do want to talk to Lou um, because you know there are um, preventions that are going to have to be put in place. There are resources. You know, I'm sure that um, you know those are the things they're going to be asking you. So Lou, I mean, have you ever heard of anything like this? And you know. Uh, uh,
2: no, I, I really have not, uh, Derek. Uh, you know, first our hearts go out to to Ayn and your entire family, and uh, we really do Thanks hope that, that uh, with with enough um, uh, support from the communities that are out there, that that justice does get served. Uh, you know, uh, for you, so uh, no no parent uh, would ever want to deal with what you're going through, and and I've heard many stories. Uh, you know, uh, such as the Brian Blakey uh, Donna Little story that I know, Marianne, you're familiar with uh that uh actually uh you know we we all know Sheila Nevum and and what had transpired with her from a wandering standpoint but this this is so uniquely different than anything else that I've uh, that I've ever heard uh, heard of in my entire uh you know 12 years of advocacy so yeah, you know and hard, I think I that think.
0: That, that's, that you know that's really what I think has everyone just you know so alarmed and I think that's why it's really incited such international outrage because it's just so mind boggling that this could happen um i mean you know I, I i'm trying to be impartial in this interview and my heart is just aching because this is just it, it's wrong on every front i mean how let, let's think past this and let's think about ian is coming home so okay. you know how what are the resources i think that the the life protect uh, the gps device is going to be very helpful um so Lou why don't you go into that a bit okay. about how you know how you can help him sure. keep her safe well,
2: you know many people on Derek's behalf have reached out to uh, Life Protect uh just to see how uh... it will help him in the eyeing situation uh... let me let me tell first of all what the technology does and how it benefits uh... from uh... just wandering in general and we'll talk a little bit about uh... derek you're in canada unfortunately but just recently uh, this past week uh... we were uh... we've got some incredible news for uh... coverage of our technology of wandering prevention technology under a special code uh... developed by the cdc announced by the cdc uh... this uh... that will uh... will cover some of our devices for uh... For under what's called an icd-9 code for wandering uh... which is very exciting for the com- for the community for people that don't necessarily be able to afford the technology but in, in your case what we would uh... most likely do is provide the technology for your children uh... that would prevent wandering which is creating a geofence your home, around the school, around the park, around your community, uh, that would either be a wristwatch, a, a device that you would situate um, onto your child uh, that would allow them to uh, you know feel comfortable. We all know that uh, with autistic children and certain cognitive disorder individuals that there are sensory issues we We, we have so many different products, I think twenty five uh, different products that would adhere to uh, the various uh, differences if a child is drawn to water. We have a waterproof device if it's a child uh, Is uh, going to take off the device. We have lockable wristwatches and so forth, but in your case What we would do is we'd provide a device for Ein. uh We'd uh, create a geofence around your home or a virtual perimeter around the home if God forbid she would have wander beyond that perimeter you would get an alert to your cell phone or to your email account, notifying you and many other people. The way the the software works of this uh, of this uh, event, which would go to many people, it would cut, it would be a, a uh, an SMS text to your phone saying, "I just uh, broke the perimeter, and by the way, here is where she's located by the GPS cellular fix of uh, of the device." so that's an wow. incredible uh, an incredible resource. There are so many other things, obviously, the first thing we talk at Life Protect when people call in as as uh as as true advocates is we understand the community. Uh, one of the most important things about the technology is that we we go through a battery of of questions to make sure that the device that we cover fits the individual and the caregiver uh so uh in in a sense that uh you know. We we would need a device that I wouldn't be able to take off, as you mentioned before. She took off her clothes, and that's very uh, common within uh, the special needs community that, you know, they don't want anything on. So we would probably provide a lockable wristwatch in this case that she couldn't take off. Uh, and uh, an alert would be created. Uh, you know, and, and at any given time, uh, you know, I'm sure because it's becoming more evident to law enforcement communities, to the healthcare community, that these devices are uh, safety devices. They're not going to off and let me emphasize this they will not take um you know the uh uh would not take the responsibility off the parent of, of you know uh the diligence that needs to be done in a special needs household uh but I, I think that that's one of the greatest things uh as a step to showing to your community up in you know through the cps uh, uh organizations that you're dealing with right now that you you're, you're going to do whatever it takes to get iron back correct
1: I think it's probably a very economical solution as well, Lou, because in my case, um, they had four helicopters in the air. Uh, the Americans sent up a uh, fixed wing surveillance aircraft to help find her. They mobilized a tactical unit. They had uh, dozens of people involved. And uh, if Life LifeProtect had been there, uh, this obviously would have been resolved in
2: minutes rather than in uh, over three hours. Well, you can't even you can't even imagine the costs involved uh, from the law enforcement community once they start putting helicopters in the air and the search and rescue teams uh, covered from all jurisdictions uh, on top of what you're doing to the, inside the community turns it inside out. Uh, we're we're trying to leverage the technology, and by the way, the next generation technology that we have uh, is uh, connected to a 24 by 7 emergency call center. So in the case uh, like yours, Derek, what would happen was uh, if there was a danger, either accidental or unlawful, uh, uh, you know, uh, present, um, the individual would be able to either push a panic button and go, and it would immediately call within seconds an emergency uh, 24 by 7 call dispatch center, which then would determine whether a call to a 911 type uh, situation needed to be activated, or is it just, hey, Derek, I'm uh, just at the neighbor's house, she is fine, just come and get her. Uh, and that's, right. that's kind of a big push in what we're dealing with. And, and part of uh, what we believe, which we really don't have, how the whole ICD-9 code would be spelled out, but it's something that uh, we feel very confident will save many lives in the future and prevent situations like this from happening. Yeah, And also yeah, for I, Lyric, right? Yes. yeah, Lyric is the wanderer of the house, actually. i is usually a little
1: homebody.
0: Right. And, you know, this must be traumatizing for them as well. Lyric uh, he, and,
1: um, for Wyatt. Yeah. I mean Lyric being nonverbal, we always he always watch for things. You watch for behavioral changes to see how things affect him or, or what's going on inside of his head. And um for Wyatt it's it's a lot easier. He's uh he's living through a lot of fear when uh he hears a car slow down or a car turn around in my driveway or someone pull in to visit. Uh, Wyatt uh, his, uh goes into a little bit of a panic mode and runs to the window and he's uh, sort of afraid that they could come and take him at in any instant. Because reality of course has changed for him as well now. Um Lyric on the other hand uh I don't think understands what's going on. He knows she's not here. He um will point to her picture and he'll tap it very abruptly and go ein and um he will uh he sleeps in either my bed or in Ein's bed. Uh, he puts on her music, which is just heart-wrenching, and he'll sit on the couch and he'll listen to her favorite songs because she was sort of the DJ of the house. And, uh, I mean, both children definitely uh, know she's absent, and uh, Lyric doesn't understand why, and Wyatt uh, doesn't understand why either. So, <sighs> uh, I
0: don't even know that. what to I, say to that. I, I, I can't. Uh, um, I just can't.
2: Marianne, it's both parents, you know, whether it's a child uh, that is a special needs child or just any parent, the outpouring and the outreach uh, that I've seen, uh, you know, just on the social networks alone have have been just unbelievable. Uh, You you know, uh, on your behalf, Derek, I have had probably a dozen people or so uh call uh up Life Protect and uh and ask how we can get involved and, and you know my answer is uh you know in your in your specific situation uh you know you, you and I have had a had a conversation outside of uh we started to have a conversation outside. Uh but you know we've been going back and forth on Facebook, email and uh you know, we will do whatever we can to help you help you uh you know support uh what needs to happen on on at least from a long prevention technology.
0: Yeah, well, thank and you, you so know much. Um, you know, Derek and I have been talking and the Coffee Clutch is opening up all resources possible. Um and again, you know, whatever you need, um, that we can offer you. Um and you know, we're we're in the United States, but we have resources all over. If there's anything you need, um, uh, we will move mountains to get it for you. Um thank you, there's so just an outpouring of love coming on the tweet chat for you. And um, you know, is it is there anything that people can do for you? What is it that you need that people can do to help you?
1: Well, this is sort of its a two-fold question, really, because there are some practical solutions. The, the problem with this really is, is um, the ministry has not made any specific demands of me. It's not like they claim my, my house was unsafe or you know, that I wasn't doing this right or that right. They, all they've said to me is keep an eye on her, keep an eye on her. Now, so, so there's sort of that element, now I'm going to try to nip everything in the bud. I, you know, I want, I'm very interested in, in, in Lou's uh, Life Protect. Um, I'm going to get child psychologist involved and a pharmacologist involved and behavioral interventionist. And we're going to nip everything in the bud that we possibly could in terms of um, practical solutions for when Ayn comes home and uh, to help wean her off these drugs and help uh, try to return her to a state of normal life. The other thing is here, and I know you said you're in the U.S., and this may make it uh, difficult, is I'd like to point out to people, because this is important, um, this isn't an Abbotsford problem. It's not a British Columbia problem, and I don't believe it's a Canadian problem. Like uh, Lou mentioned, uh, he hasn't heard of this before, and neither have I. Um, I think what we're watching over time here is sort of an expansion, an expansion, and this is growing and growing, and new uh, we're like watching this grow in front of our very eyes. And it's not just in Canada. We're watching this happen in uh, America, in the UK, and Australia, around the world. And so it's the second thing how people can help is to spread awareness that this sort of thing was even possible. Because I have uh, confronted CPS in the past and told them, I'm not afraid of you. Because my kids are cared for and my kids are loved. There's nothing you can do. You're powerless, right? And I mean, so uh, obviously I was wrong. Obviously they're just going to come marching and take my kid regardless. But I don't think that any of us really believed that they could do this sort of thing, that they can come in and remove a child who is loved and remove a child who is cared for. um, And and yet here we are. We're in this situation where they're doing it. And in under 70 hours, she's being put on... uh, uh, heavy doses of neuroleptic drugs that have enormous lists of side effects that are contraindicative of one another. And uh, the parent can't say anything. The parent can't fight and can't do nothing for months. And I don't think anyone believed that that is how the process worked. So it, how Coffee Clutch is helping so much and how social media and all this is helping so much is spreading awareness of this issue because as people become uh, more and more aware of what's happening to me, their passion grows, sort of the anger grows, and then that it's all sort of cohesively uniting into constructive dialogue of how we can make this change. How can we make this different? So that this doesn't happen to anyone else. Right.
0: Right. Well, Derek, we're about out of time. Um, again, you know, we wish you well and, you know, God knows our hearts just, uh, ache for iron. Um, please keep us updated and, um, I will. yeah, please keep us I'll, You know, I'll be in touch with you. And, um, anything that you need or if you just need moral support we're all here for you you know and it's funny because this autism community i moan all the time about how um it is one of the most ununited um communities and um you know my opinion's changing on that because you know, as much of diversity as I see, I'm seeing a community come together and um really just give you all the support they can. So we wish you the best. Lou, sure. thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you for no. joining us. Thank and you, Mary. um you know, again, keep buying in your prayers. Um immediately following this interview. We have a regularly scheduled interview, which is Alexander Sori. He is the founder and president of Relief Writers International. Um, I'm emotionally drained. Elise will be doing that interview. And um, this is a United Nations award-winning humanitarian um, foundation, and um, it's just fantastic what they're doing for um, underprivileged people around the world. So that follows in two minutes. Thank you for joining us tonight.
1: Thank you.